confident years from now we'll look back and we'll still see the goodness of God. That's not to say that our years here have been with, with filled with ease. We've traveled through deep valleys of grief too, but you all have traveled with us. Being the tangible presence of Jesus to us. God's vision for the local church is that we would support one another, pointing each other along the way to the grace of God in our lives. I can't imagine not being under the teaching and leadership of you all, Scott and Gersten, and Mike and Jen, and so many of you who lead in so many different ways. Uh, just the tone that you set in your teaching and pointing us to the scriptures, but doing it so in an authentic way and your awareness of what God is teaching you in the moment, you just bring that in a way that we've not experienced elsewhere. Um, we also can't imagine not living down the street and raising our kids with our best friends. But then again, when we came here, we couldn't imagine all the goodness that God had for us. So as we move out of the city, we do so trusting the Lord's guidance. We're equipped and we're eager to learn and serve at the, at the next local church that God sends us to because of the strength of this body of believers here. Being known and loved and cared for, which is God's purpose for his creation, is so evident in this place. It's evident in your homes, in your gatherings of DNA groups, in city kids, even in budget meetings of the session. Maybe even especially there. So why would we leave that? Except that our family's outgrown our home and we have a shared vision, finally, for what's next for us for the next chapter. The discernment process of this move has been years in the making. Truthfully, if we didn't have deep roots here, we would have left the city years ago. Being challenged to dream and receive from the Lord in this next season has really been formative to me. I think back last summer, we were at Kristen and Reed's house trying to do virtual house church with six kids running around, and we just finally sent them outside and closed the door and just had a sweet time of prayer. And um, I just remember, you know, Kristen and Reed's prayers over us and even challenging um, me and who I believe God to be at that time. We were, was kind of, toward the end of summer, we were ramping up for virtual school. That seemed to be just a monumental task, and you all know that if you had to do that this year. But three kids at home while Jason was working at a tiny little bedside table um, and keeping the three-year-old out of third grade in one room and first grade in the other room and work day for Jason. Um, and we were just at a at a low place. And Kristen and Reed just prayed over us and um, even challenged me and who I believe God to be at that time, a God that allows me to dream and gives me vision and good gifts, or a God that ignores and withholds from his children. It also exposed a lie that I tell myself that I often know better than God. One of the sweetest unexpected gifts that he's given us already in Cartersville, aside from being closer to my family, is that part of our family from City Church will be our new neighbors. Um, Jessica and Anna, it's, it's almost too good to be true. Jessica and Andrew Purser, who you all remember, were part of our community group in East Atlanta for 10 plus years in DNA group. We know them deeply. Um, after the birth of their second child last summer, they moved out of the city and into family, and they've been searching in this wild real estate market for a house. Well, they ended up finding one right down the street from us. Um, we cannot wait to continue in the goodness of kingdom living with them. Thank you for loving Joanne and I so well. Thank you for covenanting with us, um, raising our kids and showing them Christ's love. You know, parenting definitely takes the entire body of Christ. Um, thank you for trusting us enough to allow us to lead you. 
Thank you, Scott, for believing and seeing leadership qualities in me before I even saw them in myself. Thank you, Session. It's been a great honor to serve with you. Um, and just thank you all um, for just making me a better man, a better husband, and a better father. So I just thank each one of you for pouring into me and sharing your stories and, and listening to my story and pointing me to Christ when I needed him most. Um, Endings are never easy, especially with people you love. We are not designed to say goodbye. We are designed for the eternal. Our time on earth is short, but in God's mercy, we get to experience his kingdom now through being in community together. Last night, we had this really sweet send-off farewell party in the Gianna Cox's backyard. And as we were getting home and just talking about how full our hearts were, I found this um, in liturgy of or whatever, every moment holy. And this is for feasting with friends. This line just stuck out to us. But the joy of fellowship and the welcome and comfort of friends, new and old, and the celebration and blessings of food and drink and conversation and laughter are true evidences of things eternal. And they are the first fruits of that great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending. Um, I knew this was going to be really hard. Pull it together, Scott. <laughs> I want, to, um, I want to read some words to you. From one, it's one of my favorite poems. The, uh, the 16th century poet John Donne, No Man is an Island, said, No man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea, Europe is less. As well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friend's own or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. You guys are alive and will be. But um, this is a picture of loss. And, and with your departure, City Church is forever changed. There's a part of ourselves that go with you. Part of my heart. It isn't just that you've been leaders here at City Church. You've been dear friends. Your very first Sunday was the very first Sunday of public worship. So my journey has been your journey. 
So um, I want to give thanks. I want to pray. Father, um, I think I, I, I get Paul in Acts as he stood on the shores in Miletus and, and wept because he was saying goodbye to his elders. Today I say goodbye to an elder and his wife, who's also a remarkable leader, but even more so, dear friends. Lord, I can't wait till we will feast in Zion, as we'll sing here later. We will feast together in full. And this is just a temporary departure and separation. So, Lord, um, have mercy upon them. Have mercy upon the city church as we say goodbye officially today. And I pray that you would make your name great in Cartersville. For we send out a remarkable family on mission to another place. And so uh, we pray for their family, for, for Mason and the boys, and for your name to be glorified in the next generation through Jason and Joanna. I thank you not just for their public leadership, but for their private leadership of their family. And for how they've cared and loved their children well. And for how they've blessed East Atlanta Village. And how they're taking EAV with them as they go with the Pursers. Now to start probably another neighborhood community group there with another church. Father, I pray that you do mighty and wondrous things for your name through them. And Father, we pray that you would take the hole um, that is created by their departure and fill it with more life and abundance. And let it be overflowing for City Church. Here on Pentecost Sunday... As we celebrate abundance, as we celebrate the church and the spirit given to us for abundance, Lord, what better Sunday than this to say thank you for abundance in the settlers. And we pray this in the name of our reconciler, the one who restores us, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. Well, good morning. Welcome to City Church. If you're new with us, I'm sure you feel a little awkward right now. Um, it's kind of like going to, you know, being invited to dinner at a really close family's house and just kind of watching, right? And, and this is what we mean above the door when you walk in, that we are joining God as family on mission for the renewal of all things. It's, it is family here. There is a, a sense of being known and being loved, but bringing challenge and invitation into our relationships. And so I, I have to say a little more. Hopefully your body felt what that means. And, and you begin to learn more about that. And even we would, we would love to, if you've been coming for a while, we would love to tell you more about that specifically and even hear your questions. We have a newcomer's luncheon coming up. It's going to be June 6th. And, and I know I'm doing it out of order. I'm sorry about that, Lisa. But it's, it's coming up soon. And you get to hear the story of City Church, of what, what they're talking about and where it began for us and the journey we've been on and, and where we believe God is, how he's 
led us, how he's been faithful, and where we believe he will continue to lead us, and maybe how you would fit into that. And so, again, it's coming up June 6th, and you can sign up on this card. There are cards on your way in, or hopefully in front of your seat backs here, the seat back in front of you. And these cards are how we would connect with you. You can put your information on there and even fill out anything you would like to participate in or, or have questions about. And on the back, we, we ask for prayer. We really enjoy praying for you. I was actually talking this morning uh, to someone about the way our, our staff's been praying for this job situation. And we'd love to hear about what's going on in your life, how we can pray for you, and, and continue the kingdom forward in your life. So it's also confidential if you need that. But you can fill this out and put it in the box on your way out on the left there. Also, ties, ties and offerings go there as well. With that said, just a few other announcements this morning. Um, let's see, where are we going to start here? Uh, yeah, because I'm out of order. But I'm going to have uh, Kirsten come up, and she's going to give us an announcement about our women's gatherings this summer. On the back of the weekly, uh, sorry, on the back of your bulletin, there are dates that are actually not correct. So if you're like me, don't put them in your, your uh, non-changeable scratch out here or your phone, but check the weekly. That will have correct dates, but there are three different ways to connect. And what you just saw with the Saddlers didn't happen by them lightly landing on a branch and sitting and observing what was happening in our church. It it happened by them sitting at the table and feasting and participating and then leading and then inviting others and gathering and staying the long haul to be known and to be changed and transformed by Jesus. And so this summer, there's just a way of invitation. It's not that you have to sign on a dotted line and come to everything if you're coming to something. It's something that you can come to one or all, but there are different ways. There's three dinners that will be able to read, gather, and connect is the idea. And actually, you can cancel out the read if it's not your thing at a beach uh, this summer to read with children running everywhere. You can still just come and gather and connect. So... No requirements, just an invitation. There's a dinner option. There'll be three dinners, one each month. And I will need to know so that we can plan. We might be be going to El Tesoro. We might go into my house, depending on if I can get 100 of you, we're going to El Tesoro. (laughs) But but it's three dinners for looking through bittersweet and being able to discuss that. There's story vignettes, an easy summer beachside read. Or if you're staying in the city, you can do it under a tree somewhere or something. But um, just to get us into conversation, there's an option for gathering in the evening. We'll do an 8 o'clock walking with God group, and that one is more... What does it look like to hear from God? And John Eldridge goes through his life, summer, spring, winter, fall, all the seasons, just sharing what it has looked like for him to understand the Holy Spirit speaking to him in his life. So I call that mentoring. It's actually an opportunity to look and be mentored by somebody in the walking with God of prayer. So that'll be one option. And then another option is uh, Love Walked Among Us, and that'll be a morning group, and we'll see how that goes. But just check the weekly Call, uh, call or email me if you have questions, but I will be giving more details, and that is how we'll communicate is with the final details in the weekly and future Sundays. So keep those in mind, and you're invited. Yeah. I'll save you a seat. Thanks. Thank you, Kirsten. And you might be wondering, what is the weekly? The weekly is a weekly email that we send out with all the details and things going on in the church. If you don't have that, if you don't get it currently, put that on that card. You can say, I'd like to be... I'd like to subscribe to the weekly. You could also do that on our website as well. So last few announcements. These are just more housekeeping things. One, Memorial Day Sunday that's coming up. It's really thin Sunday, and we don't have many volunteers for that. So child care will be very limited on that Sunday. So you might want to sign up quick if, you're, if you plan on being here for Memorial Day. 
Um, and in general, we need volunteers, uh, especially, let's see, there's three places here, ushers, greeters, and city kids. We need volunteers bad. As we think about coming back and being here, we really need, you know, to, to as a family, just take a lot of these volunteer opportunities to really care for the church and be the church together. And if you, for city kids, please reach out to Jen, her email's here, and Caroline for the other two. So yeah, with, with that said, last thing, our live stream will be stopping at the end of June. It'll be our last Sunday for live stream. We're going to, starting July, we'll be just in person. So if you have any questions about that, I think, is the letter come out yet or it will, it's come out yet. So you know that already probably, but anyway, just a reminder. That said, let's let's take some time now to stop, prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word and, and the preaching of God's word. Thank you. Sermon text reading is from John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, quite honestly, I'd hoped for a little bit more time <laughs> after uh, after that, before I came up here, but um, that's what happens when you pick a short passage. Um, hey, this is our last Sunday in the Portrait of Jesus series. I hope it's been good for you. It's been good for me, just in preparation. And this whole series has been about learning more about who Jesus is, because in the process of really getting a clear picture of who he is, we get a really clear picture of who we're intended to be. Who we're supposed to be. And it seems fitting that we're coming to this particular passage on Pentecost Sunday. Because Pentecost is that celebration in the church on our calendar where we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit beginning the church. And who was the leader of the first church? It was Peter. And the only way that Peter could lead, and just a few weeks later on, on, on that first Pentecost, the only way that was possible was for what took place here in this passage. And I loved Eileen's prayer as she was praying for the nations, as she was praying for racial reconciliation, national, political reconciliation, right? And all of that, all these prayers that we're thinking about, as we think about what's happening in the Middle East, what we think about what's happening in our own country, when we think about what's happening in our own families, when we think about what's happening in our own hearts, it all comes back to this, restoration. So I want you to journey with me through this conversation that Jesus has with Peter. It's just a snippet of their relationship, but a critical one. And so two things this morning that I want us to see. Number one, I want you to see 
how does restoration come to us? And then second, what does it produce? It always produces. What is it? So here's the first thing that we're going to look at, and that is how do we understand what is restoration? How does it come? And we're going to begin in verse 15. Looking back there, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I need to set the the scene here for you a little bit because what's happened right prior to this is that Peter went back to fishing. This was his side hustle, as it were. And so he goes back to fishing and he's with his buddies and suddenly a man appears on the beach and he says, hey, throw your nets over there. And they do, and they have this miraculous catch of fish. Suddenly, they see, again, it's the Lord. And so they, they get out of the ship, they jump into the water, and they, they head to Jesus. And he started to fire there. And so when we pick it up in verse 15, it says that uh, when they finished breakfast, when they uh, cooked a few of the fish on the coals there, Jesus begins a conversation with Peter that's very public, by the way. And, and so that begs this question, what's behind the question? That first question, Simon, do you love me more than these? Well, you've got to go back to the hour of trial for Jesus because that's the key to understand everything here. And so I want to read to you just a few verses from Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. Listen to what happens here. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Ironically, that's what's happening right now. He's with them in Galilee. This is is so ironic. And then this is how Peter answers him. Verse 33. Though they would all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, Peter isn't saying this privately to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. No, this is in front of all of his compatriots. And so you talk about hubris, you talk about inserting your foot in your mouth, that's Peter's middle name after all. And so this is Peter doing what Peter does best out of pride and arrogance and hubris, throws his fellow disciples under the bus, and he says, I've got the right stuff. I've got something that none of these other disciples have, stick-to-itiveness under pressure, pressure under fire. And so, Jesus, I've got your back. And then, I didn't put it in here, but right after this, you know how Jesus responds. Before the rooster cries three times, you will deny me. Three times, Peter. And we know what happened. In fact, did you know that after the third time that Peter denies Jesus, it says that he threw curses down. And in the original language there, it's not that he threw curses on himself. He actually threw curses on Jesus. The betrayal was so full, it was so deep, that Peter, who said, I will never forsake you, actually cursed Jesus to the masses. It is said that the betrayal of a friend is the deepest wound of all. Peter's done it. That's the setting here for the question. Peter, do you love me more than these? I'm going to do something with you now, though, that I think often gets missed that I don't want you to miss. Because remember, this whole series has been not just about what does Jesus 
you know, saying, but what is he doing and what happens to us as a result? And so I want you to step in the shoes of Peter. What is it like when Peter gets this question? And there's one word that came to mind as I was preparing this week, one word that I think you'll connect with, and it's this, shame. Peter is feeling overwhelming shame. You know, he is... He has made a fool of himself in front of his friends, and now Jesus is bringing up the issue. That's what he's doing here. He's bringing up the very thing. And so I want us to see right now, I want us to see four things that shame does to us. Because I think that Jesus wants us to see the power of shame. Now, there are two types of shame. I'm only speaking of one this morning. One is called illegitimate shame. It's, it's to believe that, there's, that I am wrong in the world. But legitimate shame is to say, I've done something wrong in the world. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Peter knows that he's done something that has violated another person, the one that he says he loves the most, Jesus himself. And so he knows that as he stands before Jesus resurrected, there is a wound there that hasn't been fully dealt with yet. And Jesus brings it up in essence. So there are four things. Here's the first one. Here's what shame does to us. Shame always creates painful memories. Shame always brings back, it reminds us, that's what a memory is, it reminds us, much like a scar on the body where we wince, we remember what happened there, it reminds us of what happened, it brings us back, you see. And imagine being Peter, I mean, there's a charcoal fire, there's a, there's a fire, this is where the betrayal took place, I mean, you talk about a trigger, I mean, Peter's probably feeling it, it's not just what Jesus says, it's the scene that he's in, and so Jesus is brought right back to that place where he he failed him big time. And I think to myself, my gosh, I, I know exactly what that's like. We've all been there. You've been there as well. When you have done something that is shameful, where you feel guilt or shame, that's a legitimate thing, there's a violation of the person, and you think back and you think, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And maybe it's been healed. Maybe it's further along than in this passage here, but you still, again, like a scar, you wince a little bit. You're like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. That sort of thing like that. And so the very first thing I think that I want you to see here in this journey for Peter is that it's our journey as well. And it's one where we experience the memory of the pain, you see. Right? Brene Brown, in her work, The Gift of Imperfection, says this about shame. Shame works like the zoom lens on a camera. When we are feeling shame, the camera is zoomed in tight. And all we see is our flawed selves alone and struggling. I think it's so true, so right. Right? Peter, what, and what does Peter want? It leads to the second thing here. You know, what does Peter want? Peter wants to, like the Southwest Airlines commercials, remember those a couple years ago, need to get away for a while? Right? When you, when you make a fool of yourself in the, in the workplace, all those great commercials. I mean, Peter's like, I need to get out of Dodge. I need to get on a plane because secondly, shame causes us to want to hide. Shame always does that here. And can you imagine, I mean, Peter isn't expecting this question necessarily, right? And, and so he gets this question that brings him, that triggers him, brings him right back. And all he wants to do is find a rock on that beach to slide under. And, and all of us know the power of shame, whether legit or illegitimate, does the same thing. It causes us to want to get away for a while, forever maybe. I remember when Karis was just six months old, we took her... Uh, to the Grand Canyon. We went to the North Rim. And there's this windy road on the way there. 
and there's nothing else. It, it, there's, only, there's no turnoffs. It just goes straight to the north rim of the Grand Canyon for miles, snaking through the woods. And I'm just driving along there, here's the back seat, cursing next to me, and suddenly a car, like a demon out of hell, flies past me on this windy road where they can't see around the, the corner, and almost like a slot car, almost like Daytona 500, they, they, they speed past me and then they slam on the brakes right in front of me, almost bumper to bumper. I hit my brakes like that. And let me tell you, I went into Papa Bear mode when that happened. And I have my, my firstborn child in the back seat. I have my wife next to me. I feel threatened suddenly. And so let me tell you what I did. I was on his bumper for the next 11 miles till we got to the parking lot of the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And I looked to where he parked. I parked about 50 feet away. I got out of my car. Later on, Kirsten said, I did not know what was going to happen next. I was scared, uh, rightfully so, because I was enraged. I was boiling. I had 15 miles or so to boil, and I was like a volcano ready to go off. And so I got out of my car. I went over to his car, and I started, I kid you not, I started pounding on his windshield. I started beating hard, taunting him to get out. And he, what he did next was the wisest thing. It's almost as if he read the book of Proverbs. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so he inched the windshield down just by one inch, just enough to get words out so that I can't get my hand in there. And he said, I am so sorry. I, uh, I, you know, I, I was driving all night. I, it was an error of judgment on my part. I should not have done what I did to you. I am so sorry. And let me tell you what happened next. I went from rage to feeling like a complete fool, mind you. Because I was, oh, uh, uh, oh okay, fine, okay. And I walked away. And, oh my gosh, you know what happened? Here's the point I'm telling you the story. For the rest of the day, I was in fear of my life that I would run into him. It was complete role reversal. I was ready to kill him, and I spent the rest of the day in fear that he would see me because I felt such shame. You see, he was out of control with how he was driving around me, but I was out of control with my anger and how I wanted to destroy him, and I acted like an ass. And I think back, you know, the whole day I was thinking about that, I wanted to hide. You see, that's what shame does. Whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, it actually has the same power. It makes us want to not be seen because that's what we do. That's the nature of shame. Shame wants you to hide. It's the very very first uh, violation of God in the garden, right? The Garden of Eden this time. Genesis chapter 3. What were Adam and Eve doing? They were hiding from the Lord. They didn't want to be around Him. Because they didn't want to see eyes. His eyes. They didn't want to lock eyes intimacy. You know, that's the power of shame. And I, you know, look, Peter was on the beach and he can't hide in that sense. But, you know, in a sense, think about it. What was Peter doing? Right? Peter was fishing. Why is he fishing? Because he's given up. Think about this. Peter has already seen Jesus twice resurrected before this scene. He knows that Jesus is resurrected. He knows that it really happened. And what, why isn't Peter, what, ask, ask yourselves this question. Why isn't Peter at this point saying, let's do it, Jesus? Yes. Yeah, I screwed up. But come on, this is great. You know, back on mission. No. Why is he fishing? And this leads to the third thing here. Because shame assumes rejection. 
Peter believed that the game was up. Peter believed that that the mission was over, that it wasn't mission accomplished, that he had failed, therefore Jesus was done with him. And so what did Peter do? Peter went back to do this only thing that he knew how to do, which was to, to be a fisherman. Jesus had called in John chapter 1, Jesus had called uh, Peter, at that time Simon, come back to that here in a second, to, to be a fisher of men. But he comes to be a fisherman again, because it's the only thing he knows to do. It's the only thing that he knows that he can do now because he's such a failure. And let me tell you, I connect with that as well. There have been times in my relationships with people where I violated them and I think to myself, they are not going to want to do life with me anymore. And there have been friendships in the course of my life. There have been times, uh, even though I, I know that the foundation is there and it's secure my marriage with Kirsten, but there's that fleeting thought of like, how could she love me again in the way uh, that we did before in light of what I've done here? I mean, that's what shame does. Shame makes you believe that you're not worthy of a relationship. And it makes you believe that you won't get that relationship. And so, and this is the, the curse of the evil one, even in legitimate shame, that he wants you to believe that it's over. You see, this is what shame is doing. And so, so shame brings us those, those bitter memories. Shame uh, causes us to hide and there, therefore feel rejected. But here's the last thing that shame does, and this is the one positive thing that it does, but only in legitimate shame. And I'm not talking at this point about illegitimate but here's the thing it does. It ends our self-dependence. It ends self-dependence. Why does Jesus ask the question the way that he does? Think about this. Why does he say, Peter, do you love me more than these? Why would he put it that way? What did Peter say? At the hour of Jesus' greatest need, what did you remember what he said? These will fall away, but not me. In other words... I love you more than these. Don't you see? Jesus is taken directly to the place of pride, to the place of hubris, and he's flipping the question around at that point. Do you love me more than these? But the only way that he could live a life as if that were to be true was to humble himself. You see, the very opposite of hubris. And so he had to humble himself. He had to come to the end of himself, mind you. And that's exactly what happens. You see, that's the other thing that happens with shame for us. Is that at some point, when we come to the end of ourselves, there's a death that takes place. The only way for there to be true reconciliation, the only way there to be true restoration, is that we have to come to the end of ourselves. And to see that the violation was through and through, we have to understand completely what that violation was, how we've harmed another human being. And there's no place for pride, there's no place for hubris, there's no place for arrogance in that, you see. That is the gift of shame, actually. That is the gift given to us where we come to the end of self-salvation. And that's what happens for Peter. Peter is now ready, actually. It's only at this point that Peter is now ready to actually experience what restoration is. And there are three things about restoration I wanted to say to you. What is restoration according to the passage here? And number one, the first one I think is going to really surprise you. Ready for it? We see this is what Jesus was does with Peter, right? Reconciliation requires us to intensify shame. You're saying, no, 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 no. That's not what I expected you to say. So what in the world do you mean by that? Well, ask yourselves this question. Why does Jesus ask the question 
three times. Now, symbolically, it's because there were three denials by Peter at the fire. And so there's some, I think there's some symbolism going on here with the reinstatement. If you read commentaries on this, that's what they will all say, and I agree with that. But I don't think that's the only thing. A long time ago, I had a mentor. His name was Dr. Charles McKenzie, but his nickname was Sherry. And so he has always called him Sherry. And, and, uh, and so he was my professor, my program, philosophy program. And he was a renowned scholar in Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician and philosopher. Uh, he had been a professor of an Ivy League school at Princeton. He had been actually the president of a college, Grove City College. And this man is finishing this long, illustrious career. He's now in his 70s. He's finishing his career at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And he's my professor. And on the second day of class, he says, Scott, I want you to come visit me in my office. So I'm thinking, well, I've got to bone up on philosophy here. I've got to know my Pascal. And so I get to his office, and he has this massive oak desk. I mean, it's like half the size of this church almost. It's massive. And he's got his chair behind there. And so I sit down in this chair on the other side of the desk, and he takes his chair after I'm sat down, and he sits almost knee to knee with me. He didn't understand private space, by the way. And so he's actually puts his hands on my knees. Okay, this is getting kind of awkward at this point. And he says this. He says, Scotty. You always call me Scotty. Scotty, do you love Jesus? Come on, I'm in seminary. Of course I love Jesus. That's why we go here, right? Well, there's something in my answer that either he didn't buy or there's something else going on. He looked at me again and he repeated the question, slightly different inflection of his voice. He says, Scotty, do you love Jesus? And I gave him the same answer. But in the second time, it changed me. And, I, and he, he, he was focusing me. He was intensifying the question, you see. He was asking, can you actually say, and I want you to really think about this, Scotty, do you love Jesus? See, I think that's something, and by the way, that actually, for the first time, I shared my deep, dark secret with addiction with pornography with him. And began a six-month transformation in my life that really, I think, truly allowed me to be a pastor today. It was because of the intensity. It was because of how he intensified the focus here. See, Jesus is actually intensifying the question for Peter. Do you see that now? Jesus is actually saying, we're going to have a, a, just a laser focus right now on this one thing, Peter. And I'm going to, I'm going to really intensify it for you. Like, I'm, just, I'm not going to just bring it up. I'm going to intensify the shame. I'm going to allow you to really feel it deeply here. And it's because of the second aspect of what reconciliation is really means. It means this. It means that in order to truly find repentance, you must first descend into the suffering. You must truly, and here's what that means. It means you must truly go into the story of the violation. What do you mean by that, Scott? Kirsten and I have a mutual friend named Adam Young. Adam Young is a counselor, a professional counselor. He's a student of Dan Allender, and he now has a, actually a, a really a, a nationally well-renowned podcast that he does. And Kirsten was sharing with me that recently she listened to one of his podcasts on parenting. And in this podcast, he talks about how do you reconcile with a child? And, you know, all of us that are parents in here are like, okay, I'm listening, right? And so I remember she was sharing it with me, and essentially he said this, that, that you really have two options when you have violated your child. And so to use an example, let's say it's a son, and you, you, you're yelled in a way that wasn't uh, appropriate, out of a place of uh, you know, sinful anger, and so Young says, 
You know, he says, well, you could do one of two things. One is you could say, hey, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Okay. It's pretty generic. Now, you're addressing it. You're, you're, not, trying to, you're not neglecting the issue. You're not trying to uh, pretend as if nothing happened there. This is not an issue of abuse in that sense or neglect in the other sense. But, so you're trying to address it here. He says, now, that's one option. But the other option is this. You go to your son and you say, son, you know, when I yelled at you like that, I was in a place where I felt like I'd lost control. And what you did made me feel like I was out of control. And so what did I do? I powered up on you. I used my voice in my position uh, to, to leverage that to, to minimize you. In the process of doing that, I violated your dignity. Will you forgive me? Now, what is Young doing there? Young is saying that actually, in order to truly get that child to a place, and he even talks about neuroscience, the brain and the integration, and that in order to truly bring that child to a place where they can truly say, I forgive you, Dad, or I forgive you, Mom, they have to narrate the violation. You have to truly tell the story of what went wrong, what went down, you see. And so if you simply say, hey, sorry for what I did, you're not telling the story, Young says. You're not narrating the story. And so... And so repentance requires us to narrate truly what actually happened. What was happening in our mind, our thoughts, and in our deeds, of course. This is how, and so what is Jesus doing? Now, Peter doesn't have this skill, so what is Jesus doing? This is what's so brilliant. Jesus is narrating it for him on his behalf. That's what he's doing, really. Peter, do you love me more than these? Bring you back. Trigger, we're going to bring you back, and we're going to descend into the suffering. I want you to see, Peter... I want you to really, really, really see here, this is actually what happened in the violation. Man, what a brilliant picture for us of how it is that we're to do reconciliation with each other. I think too often we let each other off the hook. And I'm not just talking about perpetrators. I'm talking about for, when you've been violated, isn't it easy? Don't you just want to kind of move on? Right? You, just, you kind of want to say, yeah, 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 okay, we're good now. But that doesn't allow us to get to true reconciliation. And you know that because after the reconciliation, you still feel like there's some distrust. You still like you're in a place where you're not quite healed. And maybe the reason for that is because you haven't haven't told the story. You haven't narrated. And therefore, you can't experience the fullness of reconciliation because you haven't fully told the story of the violation, you see. I think that's what's happening here. really do. And so it leads to the third thing that completes restoration. And it's this, that reconciliation requires repentance. Why does it say after the third time that Peter answers that he was, ready for it, verse 17, grieved. He was grieved. Why was he grieved? The the word there in the original essentially means a sorrow over affliction. And this is another way to describe, you guessed it, repentance. It's only then that Peter deeply understands what he did to the Savior. And he grieves. He didn't grieve over the first time, not even the second. It was the third time. He was brought fully into the violation. It was only then that he was able to truly reconcile. You know, I just think what a picture for us of what true reconciliation looks like and can mean. And again, Pentecost Sunday. The story of vertical reconciliation and then horizontal reconciliation, the gift of the church that we might see the nations reconciled, you see. So here's the key to understanding this before we close with the last thing. 
And that's this. How did Jesus make that possible, friends? And the answer is this. Remember what I said about descending into suffering. It wasn't just Peter that descended into suffering. When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these three times? What was happening for Jesus? Jesus was descending into his own agony, you see. Jesus was remembering his own story. But he was on the other side. Don't you see? The reason why Peter's shame could be taken away is this is what Isaiah said. That the Messiah would take our shame. That our shame would be placed upon him. And so for this to happen for Peter, it's because Jesus descends into his own agony. And what is it that he is remembering? He's remembering his own cross. And it's only then that Peter is then set free. Set free to be reconciled, you see. What a beautiful picture of restoration. That Jesus took our shame. The very thing that we've been talking about for the last several minutes. And it leads to the last thing here. This is where we're going to close. And that is this. Once we are restored in Jesus Christ, we're not just restored and we're like, Jesus is like, you're good. He says, now go on mission. It is actually in the restoration itself. It's in the power of the restoration itself. It's in the power given to us in the Holy Spirit that we're then sent out individually and collectively as a church family to be a blessing to the nations, you see. And so two things I want to say about, about what, that pro, what it produces, what that process, you know, three times, 15 through 17, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He's saying, Peter, I want to put you back on mission. Remember, what's, in fact, I say Peter, he said Simon. And the reason why is that, remember, that's actually how he was first called in John chapter 1. He wasn't called Peter. That wasn't his birth certificate name, as it were. That became his nickname later on. He says, and Peter, upon this rock, I will build the church. Remember that. And so up until then, he's been Simon. And so when he calls him Simon again, after calling him Peter for three years, he's doing something intentional. He's saying, I'm recommissioning you. Simon, son of John, I'm recommissioning you. It's time to go back. It's time to go back to the mission field, Peter. It's brilliant. Even his language here, what he's doing, he's triggering that memory. Now it's not the now it's not triggering the memory of shame now, friends. He's triggering the commissioning to be sent out. See, this is what Jesus does. It's paradoxical. He intensifies the shame out of kindness. And then he restores out of love. Two things, here's where we close, that makes it possible for us to be sent out with missional love to the world. Number one is that it's to understand this, that when Jesus Christ is our supreme love, it compels us and propels us outward. The very nature of love itself, when you've found true supreme love, and by supreme I mean that when Jesus Christ is our supremacy, when Jesus Christ is our everything, when He is our, our sovereign and we say He is Lord of our life, man, we can't help but want to push that outward. Feed my sheep. Which leads to the second thing that's related to that. It's a paradox. And it's this. The more you love Jesus Christ, the more He's your supreme love, the more that you can't help but prioritize other people in your life. It's almost like saying this. It's almost like saying, the more you love Jesus, the more you love people. Right? It's a bit of a paradox. But really, it's in Scripture. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. 
These are the two and only commandments. This is the whole of the law. He says, you do this, salvation. See, this is what he's doing. He's restoring them, right? To the point where, where now Peter can say, love the Lord your God. Lord, you know, I love you with my whole being. He says that right in the text. And then he says, that's right, now feed my sheep. Extend my kingdom. Which leads to the last thing I want to say to us. For such a time as Pentecost 2021, as we come out of the pandemic. And Joanne has said this a little bit. I've heard this from many of you who've said, coming back to in-person worship has been life-changing. Like, you go away for a week or two on vacation, you come back to, to, you know, to public worship, it's like, all right, you know. But man, when you haven't had the opportunity, I remember, listen, for a couple months now, I didn't have the opportunity. And I'm the pastor of the church. And so it was awkward watching myself on TV. That was really weird, by the way. But we had to do it because of the pandemic. And I couldn't, I mean, it was weird coming back and, and then preaching live, but there's only a few of us in the room. And then the first Sunday in August when people actually started coming back, man, I mean, I wept again. I wept that day when that happened, if you remember. Like, it was, it was like I could see people, I could see their eyes. Like, it was, it was an amazing moment, an opportunity. All that to say this, I believe truly that our worship muscles have atrophied for the last year. They have atrophied. Just like if you didn't go for the gym for a long period of time, you shouldn't expect to have a PR the next day. Personal record. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, right? You're like, what is a PR? Okay, uh, like you're saying, my gosh. Yeah, it, it takes time to build those things back. I think that one of the things that we can take away from this passage is feed my sheep is that we've all been called to mission. And one of those missions is to worship together, friends. As Joanna said, to see each other's eyes face to face. To enjoy what we were designed for. Let me tell you why I think that's so important. Beyond what I've already said, and this is where we close. Mike shared an article with me this past week from The Atlantic. And it was entitled this, The Never Aging Ants with a Terrible Secret. We're going to put a picture of these ants. They're called the Timnothorax ants. And you can see that there's one dark and one uh, that's yellow in color. They're supposed to be dark in color. So what's this yellow one about? Well, it turns out they're exactly the same kind of ants, the same genetic structure, everything. The only difference is the yellow ant has a parasite in it. And, you know, in, in, the, in the kingdom, the animal kingdom, the insect kingdom, often there are these, these, these host relationships that would benefit both host and parasite. And that's what happens here. And so what happens is that the queen ant and the worker ants, those are truly the only two categories, but the parasite creates a third type of ant. Right? And it's this. It's the, uh, I'm chilling at the cabana ant. Now, what are you talking about? So here's what they found out, these researchers. They found out that the, that the parasite puts off these pheromones. That's a chemical signature that changes the behavior of the other ants around the yellow ants. These, these uh, parasitical ants, basically. And so what happens is, the worker ant says, you chill the cabana with your Mai Tai, and I'll do your work for you. And, and so they literally, all the other ants in the colony, do the work of the ants that have been infected. It's not like the infected ants are wanting that to happen. It just so happens that's what the parasite does. And so they found out that these ants live nearly as long as the queen that can live up to 20 years. And the other ants don't even live like a year or just it's a year or two. But these ants can live a lot longer. And so therefore, this parasite can live, the, can live a lot longer. And then they benefit. And here's what they found out. 
here's where the penny dropped for me. And this is why Mike shared it with me. You know what happens to the other ants? They live less. They live less than what they're supposed to because they're doing the work of other people. I think that for us coming out of the pandemic, there is an opportunity for us to kind of resize things. And here's the calling. It's the call of the discipleship. It's the call of Peter. It's your call as well. And it's to feed the sheep of, of this church and beyond. And it's to say, if city church is my home, I've got to do more than consume. I need to serve. And that's where the joy is, friends. Because when you're compelled by love, you can't help but want to say, how can I serve? You know, we have these great volunteers who help set the table so that you can enjoy worship in the morning. And whether it's Sunday morning or whether it's between the Sundays, man, this is a call for all of us. And by the way, it's not just a call for those who, who are elders in the church. We, by the way, we have amazing elders here at City Church. We just said goodbye to one of our amazing elders just a few minutes ago. I was with one of our other elders this past week, in fact. And, and he was sharing with me what, what he's been doing in ministry. Let me tell you, friends, he's doing a lot of stuff. In fact, so much so that I said, what is it that we can take off your plate? Because like, you were, you're, you're going to, and he said this, I didn't say this, he said, I'm going to burn out. And I've had other people, even pre-COVID, who are leaders here at City Church say, I'm going to burn out. And some have, actually. That's the same thing that's happening with those ants. You see the connection now. It's like when you are doing other people's work that are called to the kingdom, you're going to burn out. You weren't called to that. You weren't called to take other people's work necessarily. That we were called as a church family to do the work together. And so my challenge and, and I think our design, our missional design, is not just for a few people to be elders in that sense. It's not just for a few of us to serve as volunteers. Is for all of us to feed his sheep. You see, shepherding isn't just something that people do within the seminary. Shepherding is the call of every Christian in this room right now or online. It's our calling. It's to feed the sheep. Scott, I mean, I'm just starting my spiritual journey. What are you talking about? Let me say this. If you're just one step ahead of one other person, you can feed a sheep. That's all it takes is to say, I have something I can give this one person. So here's where I'm going to end. And it's this question. Who in your life right now needs your shepherding? Who is it? Maybe they're not here at City Church. Maybe it's work between the Sundays. And good on you. I just want to celebrate. We have so much of that good stuff happening right now at City Church. I want to celebrate that. Because there's a lot of good shepherding going on here. But we're not perfect. And, And the pandemic has really brought that out, I think, for some of that as well. We need your help, friends. And so, so may you be restored. May you know the reconciliation vertically that you have so that you might be part of Pentecost, the reconciliation of the nations, so that you might know how God wants to send you out on mission, whether here at City Church or between the Sundays, wherever God would lead you, that you would know that you have a purpose, that you have a calling because you have been loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your promises that have come true. And Lord, I, I, uh, it's painful to, and we wince and we think about the times where we, we have fallen so short of the glory of God. Um, but thanks be to Jesus, Lord and Savior, who's covered, who's bridged the gap for us. Jesus, you took our shame. You took on our shame and suffering 
so that we would be set free from that. Not so that we could simply hang out at the cabana, but so that we could be sent out on mission. Lord, in order for that to happen, we have to have a, a, a source of energy for that work. It has to be love, or we will burn out. And so, Lord, have mercy upon us. Holy Spirit, come. Come and infect us. Come and infect us with the work of the kingdom in our hearts, that the city of Atlanta and beyond uh, come to know you and worship you and be brought in. We pray this in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And now we take some time to respond to God's